How can the few-shot technique enhance the quality of generative AI output? How can the coupling metadata help prevent issues with token limits? How can you implement a zero-trust environment in an AppExchange app? Welcome to Artificial Intelligence Innovations meets AppExchange, the bi-weekly show that explores the impact of AI in the Salesforce ecosystem. I'm Jakub Stefaniak, Salesforce Certified Technical Architect and VP of Technology Strategy and Innovation at Akiva Labs, where we help AppExchange partners accelerate their adoption of the latest technologies and get the most out of their Salesforce partnership. In each episode, we sit down with leaders from AppExchange ecosystem to discuss the latest trends and innovation in AI, product development opportunities, and ethical considerations. Our goal is to address critical challenges faced by business, build a community of engaged professionals, and provide insights into the latest trends and innovation in AI to help you stay informed and ahead of the curve. So, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of AI and app exchange. Hey, welcome. Thank you for accepting our invitation. Could you at the beginning introduce yourself and your role in app exchange ecosystem? Sure, Jacob. Glad to meet you. I'm Bill Appleton. I'm the CTO at Metazoa, and we are one of the original app exchange partners. I wrote one of the first applications back in 2005, Dream Team and been a partner in one capacity or another capacity ever since. And I've built a lot of uh, applications on the Salesforce platform. And so been around for a while and uh, love, love the ecosystem. Yeah, your beer in terms of app exchange experience is very unique. And speaking about your current company, you have a few products on the app exchange, right? We do. We really have one main product, which is called Snapshot. And Snapshot is to help Salesforce administrators manage their org and keep their org healthy. And then we have a couple of what we call solution centers, which are aspects of Snapshot that are kind of simplified. They're easier to use and they're not as powerful as Snapshot. And so the solution centers are for org documentation, org security, and for technical debt removal. Okay. And so those are kind of the three aspects of snapshot that that sometimes people just want to really focus on one aspect and an easier to use presentation. That's interesting. So how technically does it work? Do you have like different packages for the solution centers or is some kind of a subset which you configure for customers during onboarding? Yeah, so we have a zero trust environment. So snapshot is a rich client that runs on the desktop. And we use Salesforce for our cloud. So the way it works is you install our package in an org that you your admins have access to. And then Snapshot talks directly from your personal computer to your org. So we don't have a cloud. We don't have a database. We don't have any of that stuff. And so it's a zero trust environment where we can't see your data. We can't lose your data because we don't have your data. And then the solution centers are simplified versions of that, and they actually don't need a package. So they just come down to your client computer and start using the Salesforce API stack. And they're just like the browser, except instead of talking HTML, they're talking pure web services back to Salesforce. Does that make sense? 
Oh yeah, and that's a very unique solution because usually when we are speaking about org management or anything related to metadata, it's always this question, okay, we are sending our intellectual property out of our work, what is going to happen with this? And having this local environment, that perfectly makes sense. And as far as I know, we are planning as well to publish soon another product, Intelligent Assistant, right? We are. We've got a new solution center called Intelligent Assistant. That's the, the prompt engineering platform and the administrative thinking partner from Snapshot. So it's like our other solution centers. It's a subset of Snapshot that's focused on a particular purpose. But one thing that's exciting about it is that in the prompt engineering platform, people can build prompts and share them with their team or share them with the entire community. So that's going to be interesting to see the, the great prompts people write, and then we're just going to keep adding them to the solution, like an exchange. And when we are talking about prompts, it means that we are using one of generative AI vendors, right? So which LLM is under the hood this solution? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So we're using OpenAI, and they have a model for chat where there's a system prompt, a system context, and then a the user asks a question, the assistant provides an answer. The user asks a question, the assistant provides an answer. So that's kind of their API. And what we've done is we've merged their API with Salesforce integration. So on the one hand, you can include Salesforce assets in the prompt. And on the other hand, you can create new assets and then put them back into Salesforce. So it's kind of a merge of using Salesforce, using OpenAI, and then back integration with Salesforce. And in this case, do you need to use some additional middleware like vector database, or you are just taking the relevant metadata locally and sending it in a single API call? That's a great question. So we're using two main tricks. One is we use really extensive few-shot learning. So you've heard of like one shot, two shot, few shot. And what that is, is it's, an, it's a fake question and answer that teaches the language model how to format the response that you want. So for example, we're coming out with a new product that is going to let you build every type of flow with just a description of it. And we're using extensive few shot learning and it, it's unerringly accurate because of the, the example data we're giving the language model. And the, the other trick is there's few shot learning. The other trick is just grounding data, dynamically calculating grounding data to include into the prompt. Okay, that's very interesting. So I have like two topics which I would like to speak about. The first one, when we are talking about generatic flow, I'm comparing it to problems with hallucinations for Apex or any other programming language. And we know that generally generative AI is not perfect. And with Apex, at least as technical person, I can feel that something is wrong and then I'm not wasting lots of time. With flow and metadata, usually people are not feeling very familiar with the syntax, at least not good enough to be able to read flow and spot these problems. So how do you mitigate problems with hallucinations in this development? Yeah, so that's a good question. 
if you have a really good example question and answer that includes XML grounding data in the few shot learning, then really the pattern matching aspect of OpenAI will kick in and it can do incredible pattern matching. And so we kind of define the prompt very rigidly and then we get really good results with it. And there's not a lot of hallucination. But on the other hand, when OpenAI gives us a result, we make it easy to do a test deployment with that asset against the org. And then if the test deployment doesn't work, we get the error messages and turn around and add that to the next question to OpenAI. We say, hey, you, you built us this flow. I couldn't deploy it because I got these error messages. Go fix it. And it'll almost always on that second chance be able to build the flow or whatever it is correctly. That sounds impressive. So my second question, I can imagine that with this upper roof sending few examples, few expected responses, and then your request, it means that you are sending quite lots of tokens with every API call. And as we know, we are paying for every token. So I'm curious how you are touching ducking uh, this problem in terms of the pricing strategy for your product. Yeah, so the token limit is a big issue. It's probably the biggest issue. And some people's account object can be 100 megabytes. I mean, it's crazy how, how big things can be in metadata world. So we've done a couple things to worry about that. One is we'll let you work with child assets. So you can work with individual fields, individual validation rules, and those are much smaller. And so that, that tends to work a lot better. The other thing is we, the token limits are going up. We've got 16K on the 3.5 model, and we're getting ready to get 32K on the 4.0 model. So it's getting better, but, but that's absolutely correct. If, if you, you want to analyze a gigantic profile or something, you can't do it. It's just not something you can use AI for at, at this moment in time. And the second thing you asked about was cost. And honestly, th this is a consumer level cloud service. It's very inexpensive. The 4.0 model is getting to be more expensive, but we're getting great results with the 3.5 model as the default. So right now we're just paying for the AI bill for our customers, although they, they can go put their own developer key in if they if they want to use their model for some reason. Okay, yeah, it's a good reminder that you don't always have to take the most expensive API if something else is giving you a good results. And talking about token limits, I believe like three months or four months ago, some admins of OpenAICO mentioned in some interview that they are expecting to increase this to 100K by end of this year. So it's something what in Akiva we are as well waiting internally with our own product, which is sending long documents for generative AI analyzers because with 100K, all needs for middleware just disappear from our landscape. But then again, pricing one day can be a problem, especially at this early stage when this API call, yeah, can cost still a little bit if somebody will start using it on a daily basis many, many times. But okay. One thing, we, one thing we've developed is the ability to prioritize the elements in an XML envelope and dynamically collapse the XML until we, we get it within the token limit. And so that's a really interesting technology and the 100K will help, but I mean, a big metadata snapshot can be in the gigabytes. <laughs> so it's going to be a race forever.
And have you considered using API, I mean, AI API from some other vendor than OpenAI? Yeah, I guess Anthropic Claude is mm -hmm. an enterprise class API and Salesforce may come out with their own language model or something. And we would, we would be happy to make that an option for people to adopt. So yeah, we're watching it all carefully. I think OpenAI is working really well for us right now. In our case, we make some comparison between OpenAI and Meta's open source model. And we found that for our specific use case, OpenAI is giving better results, but thinking about their product and the fact that they have this nice local environment, that can be an interesting option. Just increase size of the installation package, but then have like LLM, which works locally on someone's computer, it's not connected to bigger model, and then it's for free because it's open source, right? Yeah. That's exciting times to see all these opportunities. Okay. And talking about the aspect of using AI in your product in terms of this prompts which people are sending. So do I understand correctly that they are allowing your end user to kind of specify what kind of the metadata do they want to build, which means that theoretically all problems with ethics, biases, this kind of things can occur if the end user will put some inappropriate input for the AI request? Yeah, so that, that's a great point. So in there's really two aspects to Metadata Studio. One is for prompt engineering. And in the engineering side of it, you're exactly right. All of those, all many things could go wrong. I mean, if they did, especially if it was malicious or something like that, I mean, the prompts would, would not be good. But in the for the end user, they're really guided. So for example, if they're adding documentation to a flow, we've got a, a great prompt that'll add the descriptions to every node of a flow and they're automatically generated. It's really cool. So the end user in that case, all they get to do is select the flow. They don't get to enter any text or, or talk about best practices or anything else like that. And so I think that's a really interesting point is that in terms of prompt engineering and enterprise usage, you really need that ability to guide the user to be able to get great results, but not to be able to make mistakes or do anything malicious. It's almost like a SQL injection attack, right? Where the, if the user knows the right thing to type, they can delete a record in the database or something like that. You've got to protect against that. And that's an important issue. That's for sure. And if you can speak for a second, not about the creation of new metadata, but about reducing technical debt, because I believe that your product can help with this as well, right? Yeah. So a big, a big aspect of Snapshot is visualizing the complexity of your org and then right from in the report itself, letting you go out there and reduce the complexity. So for example, forgotten assets will find for almost every metadata type this Apex class isn't being invoked by anyone anywhere. There's no way it can be used. And you can actually go delete that class right there at the time. And actually, AI has got some great usages for reducing technical debt. I'll give you an example. We had a customer who had about 50 validation rules on a single object. And what they said was, is how can I figure out if these rules are in conflict with each other. This rule does it this way and that rule does it that way. 
and you're firing both of them, how do you know? And how could you ever figure that out? And actually, I don't know how you would ever figure that out. You would you would just have to study it for months, I guess. I don't know. But we wrote a prompt right there on the call. We grabbed their validation rules and we said, look at these validation rules and tell me if there's any conflicts, duplications, or other problems. And boom, it spit out a great big report that explained everything wrong with her validation rules. So that that's really... I was impressed. I, that was a, an amazing thing to see. Yes, that sounds like very new use case. What I was thinking that you will speak a little bit as well is Apex or any different code, because like lots of people see this benefits of using generative AI to literally explain the code, find some anti-patterns. And as far as I understand, you are using some static code analysis in your product, right? Is it like classic PMD or something else? Yeah, so we, we've got a great implementation on top of PMD that will find 50 different code problems. And they've, they've, of course, got a giant website dedicated to producing those rules and all of that. But then if you find any particular class you want to dig into, then we switch to artificial intelligence and let you have an interactive environment where you can explore the best practices, the security the code quality, everything with that apex. And really thinking about it moving forward, you kind of wonder what the future of PMD is going to be because AI is very good at finding these anti-patterns and security problems. That's for sure. But what you describe perfectly makes sense from this perspective that AI is not a hammer which you can use to any problems. And usually from like successful ISVs, it's what we are hearing that when you start with standard algorithmic analysis, then you can apply AI to the specific cases when it makes sense. And I can imagine that if you just try to send all Apex classes to generative AI to make this first step, it can take lots of time and lots of money. So maybe PMD still is going to be relevant for some time. I think that's a great point. I mean, before you get too excited about AI, we always put it on a submit button with the same with the same icon. And if if the open AI model is really, really busy, it can take 15 or 20 seconds for them to respond to you. So it's not like you can go through all of your Apex classes and look for problems or something like that. It's we're just not there yet. But it, it's still useful though. It's still useful. Of course. So speaking about this experience with AI, maybe are there some specific challenges or pitfalls which you have found worth to share as part of the development process during last years to came to this point where you are now with this successful adoption? Yeah. One big issue, as far as I'm concerned, is markdown and how you handle it. And that's the fencing data because the language model, the, the neural net is just text in, text out, and they convert the text to tokens and it's it's in and out. That's what you get. And so if, if you have in embedded data or embedded CSV or embedded code, then how do you divide that, separate that from the text? And so it's a use of a, of a standard called markdown it's a kind of a lightweight way, you know, it's what, sometimes you see those triple back ticks in your prompts and it'll return those. So a big issue for us has been recognizing those, working with those, making sure those are being consistently used, and then being able to translate that stuff to a better user experience than just 
the triple backticks and a boatload of XML in your face. The, our new intelligent search product, for example, will recognize CSV. So you can ask the language model to generate you tables of relationships and boom, you get a beautiful table that comes out as the as part of the text string. That's impressive. Yeah, and I think for many companies sooner or later, it's going to be exactly this challenge that when people start getting familiar with chat GDP, it's easy to think, yeah, I can just make this prompt and get similar results. And then for product companies, having this extra layer means that you can provide much more value with engineering it from the scratch, right? Yeah, it's tough. And, and, and even with the temperature set to zero, you still get some random behavior sometimes. But... <laughs> It, you know, it's not perfect, but it's very useful. And and the fact that you can validate these assets against the org with a test deployment really cleans up the junk and prevents you from making a too big a mistake. But you still need to look carefully at what's <laughs> what it's telling you. Maybe just to explain temperature is one of these parameters which theoretically is reducing the variability of the output, right? But as we know, even with temperature zero, still you have some random elements. And what we did as part of one of Akiva products, we literally developed for our customer a mechanism to make the same prompts on the scheduled basis to verify if the result is going to be the same. And we found that in 80% cases only we have like the same result, which still for the business application usually can be a tricky right if it's going to be life-saving up 80 percent is not enough probably yeah so the i mean people know the way the language model works is given given the word so far it can predict the next word and so if you think about it there's kind of a probability you're kind of writing a probability wave and if you start getting really obscure words you kind of you know paint yourself into a corner and the, the probability wave crashes. And what you want is those probabilities to be really high across the entire wave. So you're getting really good results. And another thing we I've noticed is that prompts are really inherently sequential. And so if you say, throw me the ball, it'll throw you the ball. And if you say, pick up the bat, it'll pick up the bat. And then if you say, but don't throw the ball too hard, then all of a sudden your wave crashes and the, and the prompt is like, why are you talking about the ball? I already threw the ball. It's gone. You should have told me about that back when before I threw the ball. And so there, the, you really can't do things out of sequential order. It needs to go in a linear way through time in very plain spoken way, and then you'll get great results. Yeah, fully agree. So Bill, as we are coming closer to end of our episode, the last question, do you expect that in the next months or year, similar AI-driven features are going to occur across of industry or AI is still going to be something what you can consider as differentiator for your product? So we're, we were very, very aware when, when we were building Metadata Studio, which is our prompt engineering product and Intelligent Search, which is our executive thinking assistant, that we were an early adopter, but that AI is going to be everywhere. And so we really focused on very practical solutions that would help administrators and kind of sand the, the rough corners off of our product to make it really easy for them to automatically write SQL filters, to automatically 
get best practices information about their org or to analyze what a flow does or to create a flow from a written description and th things like that, very practical things. And so I'm pretty confident that we're going to fare well in the future as, as, as this whole revolution unfolds, but it's happening quickly. That's for sure. Awesome. Thank you a lot for sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you so very much for tuning into this episode of AI Innovations Meets App Exchange. We hope you enjoyed the insightful discussion and found this episode valuable. To stay updated on our latest episodes, be sure to sign up for our newsletter and never miss a beat. If you have any questions or want to engage with us further, we'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Until next time, keep exploring the exciting world of AI and App Exchange.